a lot of cases uh, in soft robotics or in engineering more generally, you know, it's not enough just to say, oh, the material has high fracture toughness. Oh, the material has, you know, some self-healing capabilities. You know, how, how, how cool is that? But it's also important that these materials uh, have a good degree of elasticity, right? That they have very low hysteresis. When you stretch it and you release it, the material should spring back to its, its original shape. And, and that's something that practically we know is important. You know, it's something that, that we definitely look for in our designs. But, you know, if we just, uh, you know, look at all the other properties of, of materials in isolation, sometimes we can easily overlook this one key important requirement that these materials also be highly elastic, you know, so that, uh, that there isn't a lot of hysteresis between loading and unloading and, and there's not too much of that energy dissipation, right? There's been tremendous work over the years in, in actuators for robotics, and this includes uh, pneumatic artificial muscles and use of electrostatic uh, type actuators or um, shape memory materials. And so I think my, my sense is that we're pretty much at a point where the, a lot of the existing actuator technologies are actually good enough for, for doing most of what we need in robotics and, and automation. I don't see it quite as a, um, a bottleneck. Um, uh, I would say that the kind of bitter, bigger bottleneck is how do we design these uh, systems overall in, in ways that actually do things that are meaningful. Um, and then I think, so I think that the, the actual building blocks for that in terms of the, the soft and stretchable materials for the sensing and the, and the circuitry and, and um, uh, also the, you know, the, the different actuator um, uh, technologies. I mean, I think they're, 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 they're kind of all there uh, already. Um, you know, certainly there's, there's room for improvement. I mean, we don't have any actuators that quite mimic exactly all the features of, of natural, say, skeletal muscle, for example. It's not even obvious that you necessarily knew, do need uh, to, to, to mimic skeletal muscle. I mean, um, uh, you know, each one of these existing kind of engineered actuator systems kind of have their pros and cons. Uh, there's been a lot of really great review papers that, that you know, go through all the different technologies and, and kind of, you know, compare and contrast. Um, and, uh, you know, not just among themselves, but also with, with skeletal muscle. Um, I would say that, you know, some things that I like about skeletal muscle that would be nice to see more of in these engineered actuators. Uh, one is this, this integration of the, um, the actuation and the actual sensing itself uh, and, and kind of the, this kind of, you know, motor sensory type type integration. Uh, you can certainly achieve that with, with existing um, uh, actuators, but the way that natural muscle, skeletal muscle can achieve that at, at scales that it achieves uh, in terms of having just, you know, the bundles of all these muscle fibers, right? And you can kind of control the, um, the uh, you, know, the, you know, the percent or portion of the muscle fibers that are actually engaged in, um, uh, you know, in, in actuation or performing contraction. I mean, that, that's pretty remarkable. Uh, and I don't know to what extent we have that, that capability. I mean, we don't really have kind of something analogous where we have kind of bundles or, you know, of these, of these kind of muscle fibers that, that can kind of have the same degree of motor sensory uh, type control. I've seen some, uh, you know, really cool work with, you know, even taking McKibben actuators and bundling them together and, and getting you know, some degree of, of control that way. I mean, you know, my group and, and others have looked at electrostatic, electrostatic clutches, um, and you can kind of scale that up and have, have kind of arrays or stacks uh, of those. I mean, that, that's kind of another approach. Um, uh, you know, not so much for the actuation, but at least for kind of distributing how, you know, force or controlling how forces are distributed uh, within, within actuator systems. Um, so, so I would say that, um, you know, the, the, the kind of that bundle fiber type architecture and the motor sensory type properties of natural muscle 
still I think are, are um, you know, quite, quite interesting. Uh, but as far as everything else goes, you know, in terms of work density, in terms of dynamic range, you know, bandwidth, frequency of actuation, the, you know, the, the actual range of motion, um, you know, we, we can kind of match or exceed skeletal muscle using a wide range of different um, artificial, you know, muscle and actuator type technologies. So I'm not, I'm not, you know, too concerned. I mean, a lot of my own research uh, looks at um, shape memory materials, materials like liquid crystal elastomer. Uh, the reason that's attractive uh, is that these uh, are easy to process and interface with other materials. You can 3D print them, you can embed them with droplets of liquid metal. Uh, you can kind of do a lot of things that would otherwise be difficult uh, to do, say, with, you know, pneumatic actuators. Um, and so I would say kind of the other um, uh, challenge uh, is to come up with uh, not so much new um, physics when it comes to uh, uh, artificial muscle, but to come with much more um, versatile manufacturing methods so that we can kind of print these or pattern these at, at a variety of, of length scales and then integrate them with a variety of different uh, materials. This is very difficult to do sometimes, you know, with, with hydraulic actuators, pneumatic actuators, even a lot of these kind of dialectical elastomer, you know, or electrostatic based actuators. So that's kind of why I like to work with liquid crystal elastomer, just because it is more compatible with a very wide range of different, you know, printing techniques and, and methods of, of integrating with, with other um, uh, materials, but of course, uh, shape memory materials have their limitations. Uh, they, they tend to be uh, much more slow. They're not as energy efficient in terms of converting heat uh, into mechanical work. Um, and so the, the, the sole kind of open challenges there. One last uh, 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 kind of, um, uh, well, I should say kind of one, yeah, one last category, I think, of, of actuators that I think, you know, could be interesting uh, or uh, something that we're looking at right now with uh, electrochemical reactions. And so using, say, liquid metal uh, and performing uh, reduction oxidation on it with very low um, uh, uh, electrical uh, potentials uh, and then harnessing that to create uh, uh, soft actuators. Uh, and so that's something that actually scales quite nicely. Uh, if you can get your liquid metal droplets, you know, down to, um, you know, sub-millimeter length scales, you know, maybe even down to like, you know, tens of microns, uh, then you can actually get tremendous work densities uh, out of these, uh, and, and all with, with something, uh, you know, a system that's uh, very, you know, rapid in terms of its response, and it only requires very low voltage uh, stimulation. Um, but one of the challenges that we uh, uh, encounter right now uh, with these uh, liquid metal-based uh, electrochemical actuators uh, is that um, they have to operate in an aqueous solution where you can get electrolysis, and so you do get this kind of gas formation, you know, hydrogen and, and oxygen gas, and so um, you know, that, that's not, you know, I mean, that can be overcome, um, you know, that, that, that's not kind of a fundamental limitation, uh, but that just is something that will require better engineering uh, if, we, if we ever want to make these liquid metal type actuators practical uh, in robotics. Interesting. 